If you have your Bibles, uh, turn to Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to once again look at verses 15 through 21 and finish up this section. The Apostle Paul tells us, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but wise, making the best use of your time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Father, I pray that this word of yours that is living and active would have its proper effect on our hearts as the Spirit enlightens us. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, We can never remind ourselves, especially when you're going through a book of the Bible as slowly as we do, uh, we can never forget the beginning chapters of uh, Paul's letter to the Ephesians, which lays out Christ's work on our behalf by pure grace. Let me just... uh, read in chapter 1 just a little bit to to keep it fresh in our minds because the text we're looking at today is an application text. But here's how Paul begins in in verse 3 of chapter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be blameless before him. Now, that seems impossible. How could we ever be blameless? In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of His glorious grace with which He's blessed us in the Beloved. Now at this point we would say, how in the world could we ever stand blameless before God, be presented before Him blameless? How could we be adopted as sons and daughters into His family when we are sinful? And in rebels, well, verse 7 tells us, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. You might be thinking his grace can save some, 
but not me. You don't know me. Well, Paul spoke of the riches of his grace that he lavished upon us. We can never forget that our standing before God is by grace alone. Your salvation began before the foundation of the earth when he chose you in Christ before he created anything. And so as we're looking at how we live out our Christian faith, we should never look at these texts and say, you know, boy, these are really beating me up. These are difficult. They're convicting. We got to remember that Paul's writing to people that have been given every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, saved by pure grace. You're not merely to walk in the light. He's told us you are light. You're a new creation. And so, as he shares with us how to live, we must always hear this as sinners saved by grace. He doesn't call us to do these things to earn our standing before him. No one could do that. The title of the message is A Heart That Sings. Jesus taught us a very important principle in, in Luke chapter 6, verse 45, about our hearts. Here's what he said. The good person, out of the good treasure of his heart, produces good. And the evil person, out of the evil treasure of his heart, or out of the evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Now, as this was applied to me uh, in seminary through uh, my biblical counseling professor's teaching, uh, what I realized is my heart has a lot of evil in it. Because any words that I say that are unkind, are evil, were not a mistake, but they actually came from my heart. And you've heard me say it many times uh, how this practically plays out, even in my marriage. So before, I would make excuses for unkind words that I might say. You know, I'm really tired. It's been a long day. It's been really stressful. I'm sorry, honey. I really didn't mean what I said. What I realized is Jesus would say, actually, that's not good heart theology. The apology should go like this. Honey, I'm sorry that I said those words because those words came out of my heart, which means my heart is evil. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so we get to see inside the depths of a person's heart as we listen to their words. That what's invisible becomes visible and rises to the top. It comes out of 
our mouths. And uh, we're going to see today how practical it is for Paul to say, be filled with the Spirit. Let the Spirit take control of your life. And we're going to get to see what overflows out of a heart that is filled with the Spirit of God. So last week, we really looked at what it means to be filled with the Spirit. It's this command. We're to do something. And what we're to do is we're to be. And in one sense, we can't be unless He makes us something. So we're a new creation, and as new creations, we're to be who we are. This is what He's been saying all throughout the letter. So in being filled with the Spirit, we're to allow the Spirit to take control of our life. And the Spirit is the one who leads, and the Spirit is the one who empowers. But you and I are the ones who can quench the Spirit or walk with the Spirit and be submissive to the Spirit. And so last week we looked at, well, what would it look like to walk with the Spirit? to obey our part of this command. And we said uh, to be careful how you walk. Not as unwise, but wise. The opposite of uh, if a drunkard gives his life up, his his heart up to do all sorts of uh, things. What we're to be is to be careful with how we Being filled with the Spirit is to look at what the Spirit tells us. We're to repent of sin and turn to God. What does it mean to give your life up to the Spirit? What do you say? Will you say this and not this? It's to die to self daily. It's to be under the influence of the Spirit. To give up your wisdom and your own efforts and your own strength to the Spirit's wisdom and the Spirit's power, the dying to self. And real practically speaking, it's just believing and obeying God's words. And as you do that, it's actually the Spirit leading you. As you believe and obey God's words, God's leading and he will give you the power. So we looked at what it means to be filled with the Spirit last week. This week, uh, we're going to look at what overflows out of a person's life in light of being filled with the Spirit. So here's how this text is laid out. There's basically uh, four uh participles, which are like verbal adjectives. It's like a picture of what it looks like in action as a person is filled with the Spirit. We're going to see that we are to speak to one another. And that we're even supposed to speak to one another through song. We're supposed to sing to one another. We're supposed to I think, even give thanks to God in the presence of one another. And we're supposed to be submitting to one another. So the 
the picture Paul gives us here is that when the Spirit takes control of your life, the focus comes off you. You see that? It's on God and your brothers and sisters in Christ. Love God and love one another. You and I are never more miserable than when we're selfish. You know, we talked about how sexually, sexual immorality is selfish. No one benefits from it except you. No one benefits from drunkenness except the person getting drunk. And the sexually immoral and the drunkard also don't really benefit, do they? But they're self-focused. Grumbling will become the main attribute of someone who is walking in their own strength and in their own wisdom and according to their own flesh. How or what is your heart saying? Is your heart singing or is your heart grumbling? What we get in this text, I think, is I may be pushing this a little bit, but it's a little bit like the gas gauge in your car to see how full your gas tank is. Well, if you were going to wonder how full of the Spirit are you, we talked last week, everyone who's a believer fully has the Spirit of God living inside them. We don't get part of the Spirit, but... We, to one degree or another, quench the Spirit so the Spirit doesn't have full control of our life. So how much control does the Spirit have of your life because you've allowed the Spirit to take the throne in your life? And the gas gauge is the picture, I think. These participles, these verbs, verbal adjectives which paint a picture and to whatever degree you say a picture I think kind of looks like me the more it looks like you the more you can know that you are being led by the Spirit of God I know that no one here is going to feel like they're killing in this area. But what a gift that God himself paints the picture. He shows us. Now, what gets all the press is the fruits of the Spirit, right? The Christian virtues, the, the fruit that flows out of a person that has the Holy Spirit living inside them. And it's really helpful. It's, it's, it's virtues that we can look at, but it's not quite what Paul does here. So the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those are the virtues that the person who's walking with the Spirit will have, but then someone will say, well, what would that look like in a picture? Paint a picture for it for me to see what it looks like. 
Well, I think that's the beauty of what we have in our text before us. So let's look at it. So the charge of this message is to be filled with the Spirit and overflow with a heart that worships God. And we get to see that picture in these participles. And the first one is speaking to one another or addressing one another. The Greek word there is uh, leleo, it's to speak or literally to make a noise. The, the scripture says that the thunder speaks. Songs can speak. Mouths can speak. But right away, the person that's filled with the Spirit looks outward, not inward. Looks outward to overflow their full if you got a full cup of water, you are not thinking, how do I get more water in this cup? It's not a thought. You have. Because it's full. So the person full of the Spirit can look out. They're not feeling ripped off by God. They're full. They see the grace of God that's been given them. They see the privilege of the call to live for Christ. And he says, addressing one another. And then it says in Psalm 10 and spiritual songs, so we so quickly want to just throw these together. And we do speak to each other in songs. But it's helpful, I think, once again, to look at Colossians 3. This very similar a parallel passage and, and, and see how Paul says it there. Here's what he says. And let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. That's the Holy Spirit that rules to rule in your heart. And notice he says let, once again, let the Holy Spirit rule in your heart to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. We're going to talk about that also today. And then verse 13, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Get the picture. To be filled with the Spirit is to have Christ's word sitting down in your life. Not coming in and, and going out. But your heart is a place where the Word of God sits down and it dwells there richly. And then what does he say? Teaching and admonishing, admonishing one another in all wisdom. See, this is speaking to one another. Teaching and admonishing one another. So the Word of God isn't just to sit down in our hearts. So that we say, this is so good for me, which it is for you. But with that word dwelling richly in you, you're to teach and to admonish and to overflow with this word toward your brothers and sisters in 
Christ. We have examples of songs as we're going to transition to singing here in a moment where, like Psalm 95, we're to sing to one another. One of of the things I love about this sanctuary setup is you can look at each other while you're worshiping. The Bible doesn't present to us Christians isolated having your own special worship. Now there's nothing wrong with that. That's just not what you're actively called to do. We're to address one another. You might think, well I'm, I'm, I'm supposed to focus on God and not be distracted by the people around me. Well that's not what this text says. Listen to Psalm 95. Oh come let us sing to the Lord. As I look at you, when I'm sitting over here, I'm looking over at this time, as I'm watching you worship, in one sense, worshiping ought to say to me, oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great King above all gods. In his hands are the depths of the earth, the heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. So we just spoke a big God to one another in Psalm 95, and then it says, Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker. For he is our God, and we are the people of his passion. You see that? When a person is filled with the Spirit of God, they look at their brothers and sisters in Christ, and they remind one another of his goodness and his greatness, even in the midst of great suffering and hardship. Oh, but the Lord is good. If tragedy strikes your family and a Christian shows up, it could be a good thing just to be. That can be an appropriate thing. But if another brother or sister in Christ sees you in despair and has the audacity to point you to the goodness of God, you better not get angry. Don't preach to me now in this time. Because if you just want to be in despair in the midst of tragedy, when your brothers and sisters in Christ show we already know, but we need to hear it from one another, especially when we're in great suffering. And you kiss. Well, hug. You be thankful for any brother and sister in Christ who shows up in love to remind you that even in the midst of great suffering, God has not lost control. 
though from our perspective, we'll probably never know the why to the suffering. That's the point of Job. Job is worshiping God at the end of the book of Job, not because he understood the why of his suffering, but because he remembered that his God is good and his God is big. And so when we come together, the reason why you ought not skip church is because you ought not underestimate your need to be with brothers and sisters in Christ, addressing one another, even in song, or especially in song. Look at what he says, in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. You know, whenever I run into this text, a lot of times it would be in the argument of what kind of music should you have at church. Well, when you're studying this text, what you realize is that's not the point of the text at all. The point of the text is, is that when the Christian heart is full of the Spirit, it sings. You know, James says, if anyone's suffering, pray. If anyone's joyful, sing. Overflow with singing to one another. Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. I read a lot of commentary on the distinction between these three, and I think the best thing I can tell you is it's inconclusive as to exactly the, what Paul had in his mind. Uh, some of the things I read is the Psalms point to the, the Psalter, uh, and so to get together and sing the Psalms with one another. We know there would be nothing wrong with that. Hymns are like Christian canticles, uh, are like uh, songs that are written that the early church uh, would have known. For example, in Ephesians 5.14, uh, many think that this is one of them, where it says, therefore it says, awake, O sleeper, arise from the dead, and Christ will shine upon you. Well, there's no Old Testament verse that just says it just like that. So some think this would have been like a hymn in Paul's day. Uh, and then spiritual songs uh, could be a more spontaneous worship uh, where a person overflows with uh, praise to God uh, uh, in their life. Uh, it's interesting F.F. Bruce tells us a little bit about the early church and how Christians have always been known by their singing. In fact, when I was in, uh, had the privilege to go to Niger, Africa, uh, and spend 11 days with Mark and Parker, uh, we got to worship on that Sunday, and we're worshiping in their friend's parents' yard, which sand, and there's a barbed wire fence in front of it, but as the church is singing, there's 50 kids standing outside the fence looking in, because what you hear blaring through Niger in all the different villages is this ugly sound that comes out on the speaker, which is the prayers to Allah five times a day. 
And it just, I don't know, to me it sounded oppressive over and over again. There's no beauty to it. But as Christians sing, children say, what is this? People worshiping God. We take for granted that this is a unique phenomenon to Christians. And so here's, here's what Bruce says about the early church. He says, we have evidence from various writers of the way in which early Christians spoke to one another in sacred song. Pliny, when Roman gov- governor of Bithynia in AD 112 was told how the Christians of his province were in the habit of meeting on a fixed day before dawn and reciting a hymn of antiphonally antiphonally to Christ as to dawn. So as he's explaining to the Roman governor, he's, he's saying they gather on a certain day every week and they sing. This is, this is what they're doing. Towards the end of the same century, Tertullian, writing in North Africa, describes the Christian love feast at, we, at which each is invited to sing to God in the presence of others from what he knows of the Holy Scripture and from his own heart. Close quote. He says, so the early Christians, they come and they sing the truths of Scripture to one another. And then they sing out of their own heart their thanksgiving to God. And look at what he says then. Singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. With your heart. Singing and making melody. Literally making melody to the Lord. The melody part is literally plucking the strings of an instrument. The idea here is that when Christians sing, it's to come out of their heart. It's not to be an external thing they do. I'll never forget the first time I got to go to a service at Bethlehem Baptist uh, where John Piper uh, was pastor for so many years. And what struck me, I was so excited to hear Piper preach. But we were there to go to a Vikings game. We went to a Saturday night service, and my sister and brother-in-law were there. And they started singing, and I looked over, and both of them were just crying. Never seen anything like it. Well, someone might say, well, boy, they must have had a wonderful worship band. They must have been just talent like crazy up on stage to... Bring about that sort of emotion. That wasn't the case. This is people that had been presented for 30, 40 years a God that is big and good, even in the midst of suffering. It was probably the first real mature con- congregation I had been in. And people, it was like their hearts were overflowing, which seemed like an authentic worship to God. And a person filled with the Spirit isn't to sing because they think 
boy, my voice is good, are not saying because they think, boy, my voice isn't good. You ought to make a noise because your heart loves Christ. And you understand who he is. And as we sing, your heart ought to love him more and more because we should sing to one another what our Lord is like. And as we hear from one another what the Lord is like, our hearts ought to worship more and more. So we're to speak to one another. We're to be speaking one another to one another. We're to be singing to one another. And then look at verse 20. Giving thanks always. Always means always. Paul does this in almost every letter. He, he, he's got you. Rejoice always. Again, I say rejoice. Then you say that's unreasonable. Well, then the next very next uh, half of the sentence, he says, let your reasonableness be made known to everyone. And then you say, wait a minute, to rejoice always is reasonable? Yeah, why? What does he say next? He says, for the Lord is at You see, you can rejoice even as you're walking through the valley of the shadow of death. Why? Because he is with you. Well, what's the most valuable thing in the world? God. When Christ hung on the cross, he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he said that not because he was fooled. It was because he was receiving the wrath of God for our sins. He was not receiving from God the good blessing from the Father, but as our sin was on Him, justice was being poured out on Christ. But when Christ says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He said that so that no Christian would ever, ever have to say that. For what did Jesus say after the Great Commission? For I'll be with you always, even to the ends of the age. God will never leave you or forsake you. It is always reasonable to rejoice. And it is always reasonable to be thankful. Because all the greatest parts of the gospel can never be taken from a Christian. The things that can be taken from you are the things you see. And the things you see are transient. They're passing away. And they're not going to last and your desires that you have that are earthly desires, they're passing away. But the things that are unseen, they're eternal. And they can never be taken away from the Christian. So when we have eyes to see how things really are, we can have hearts that are always thankful. Giving thanks always and for everything. Right away, I thought of Romans 8, which lists out who shall separate us from the love of Christ. So tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, sword, or danger. 
For it is written, for your sake we're being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No. In all these things we're more than conquerors. And I always thought, isn't that amazing? He doesn't say from all these things. Jesus never promised Christians that your life's going to get easier. He, he, in fact, promised that it would get harder, that the world would be against you. You'd be swimming upstream in this world. He never promised easier circumstances to the Christian. But he promised that in all those things, you'll be more than conquered. And I thought, boy, that is profound. In all those things, you'll be more than conquered because those things won't last. But I'm going to submit to you this morning that this verse right here is even more radical. Because it's not just saying to be thankful in everything, but it says to be thankful for everything. Giving thanks always and for everything. Well, the only way you can take Paul serious here is if you believe in a sovereign God. There's many Christians out there who don't believe in the God of the Bible, and they believe the devil is running around and God is responding to the devil. What's he going to do next? How bad is he going to make it? But Romans 8.28 tells us all things work together for good, the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. And the good described there is being conformed to the image of Christ, which means the worst thing that happens to you in your life is one of God's tools to conform us into Christ's image. The number one sin that I would say I was enslaved to throughout my whole childhood, up through college, was simple works. And when I found out that God is sovereign, even over suffering, and even my suffering is going to work together for my good, that slavery to that sin, I'm not saying I don't have to fight worry, what a powerful weapon to fight against that sin. The devil's main lie is what? God is not good. God is not good. Exhibit A is always your present suffering. That's all he's got. All right, they're suffering now. Things are bad. They're going to believe the lie. God's not good now. But if you're filled with the Spirit, you're going to know that you've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. This is a Trinitarian text, is it not? We're to be filled with the Spirit. We're, gonna, we're to give thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because everything that God has given you, all the ways that God is good to you, He's good to you in Christ. He's not good to you because of you. We were still sinners when Christ died for us. 
There was nothing he looked at in and of ourselves. We were children of the snake and the serpent dead in our trespasses and sins. But he was good to us in Christ. And so we're to give thanks to God the Father always and for everything in Christ. And so we see the fullness of the Trinity at work to call for thanksgiving is, is literally in every letter Paul writes. F.F. Uh, Bruce says this, the grumbling spirit is not compatible with the Holy Spirit. Grumbling was one of the besetting sins of the people of Israel. They were always murmuring against the Lord and against Moses. But the spirit-filled believer is not full of complaining, but full of thanksgiving. So there's kind of the gauge. Be honest with yourself. On a day-to-day -day basis, grumbling seems to be the overflow of my heart. Well, that's a good gauge that you're doing things in your own wisdom, in your own strength. Not submitting to the Spirit, but quenching the Spirit of God. You've forgotten what God has done for you. Turn with me real quick. I know we're running out of time. Acts six, to Acts 16. Because right now we could say, okay, Paul, you must live in a different world than I live in. I live in a fallen world. You're talking about giving thanks for everything. And always. That's, that's a little extreme, Paul. Acts 16. We have Paul and Silas put in prison. Paul had a demon-possessed slave girl following him around, saying, these are servants of the Most High God. Following him around for days, he got so annoyed, he cast the spirit out. The family lost their form of income because the spirits were helping her with divination, giving her supernatural power. And so they arrest him and bring him to the magistrates. Verse 22, it says this, the crowd joined in attacking them. They're being attacked by a crowd. And the magistrates tore the garments off them, stripped them naked, and gave them orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows on them, they threw them in prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them in the inner prison and fastened their feet in stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. These are some odd blokes. They got beaten by a crowd. They were just trying to go to worship and pray that day. They do a good thing. They cast out a demon. And for that good deed, what did they get? See, this is what we do. Well, I tried to do good. I was trying to serve God today, and then it all went bad. Look what it got me. That's what my heart can do. 
That's not what they did that night. They must have been filled with the Spirit because they started praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners had to be thinking, these guys have lost their mind. They must be under the influence of something. And they weren't. And so, Paul in his own life gives us an example as to what this can look like. And finally, submitting to one another. We're to speak, we're to sing, and we are uh, to give thanks, and we are to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is really interesting. Really interesting. Paul, in Titus 2, tells a wife to submit to her husband so that the word of God is not reviled. Submit to your husband so that the word of God is not reviled. And then he tells slaves to submit to their masters so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. So in submitting to another, the word of God is unreviled. Slaves submitting to even cruel masters are adorning the doctrine of God our Savior. Ephesians 5, he tells husbands to love their wives as Christ loved the church. Well, Christ laid down his life for the church to give all things to the church, to be the servant. He came not to be served, but to serve. And husbands are to love their wives that way so that they don't dishonor Christ. Submission to another is always to the glory. When, when Christians submit to one another, it's to the glory of God out of reverence for Christ. I mean, what did Jesus do? He washed their feet and he said to them, do you not understand what I am doing to you? And then in verse 15 in John 13, he says, I've given you an example that you should do just as I have done to you. Truly I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who is sent to him. So if Jesus washes the disciples' feet, and the disciples turn around and say, you wash my feet, they think they are better than their master. And they don't revere Christ. They don't fear God. And so at the end of this text, being filled with the Spirit, is Christian. Not being defensive and saying, you don't have access to this life. But as Christians, addressing one another, singing to one another, sharing their thankfulness to God for one another, suffering with one another, and pointing one another to Christ, even on the tough days. I can tell you on my toughest days, I want you to show up and help me give thanks to God. That's what I'll need. 
Because in my flesh I won't want to. The devil will come on that day and say, see, how can you trust him if he would let this happen? In Mark 10, 42, Jesus called his disciples to him and he said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be a slave to all. If you want to be to the top of the heap, in the kingdom of God, if you want to be at the very top, someone will be there. The perfect one would be the one who is a slave to all. See, because here's what we can do. Though we're called to address one another and to love one another and to forgive one another, when you don't love me and you don't forgive me, and I'm standing here like this, saying, God called you to love me and to forgive me. See, this isn't a heart trying to be enslaved to all. This is a heart saying, I'm getting ripped off here. I'm giving this, and I'm not getting this. And I'm starting to grumble, and I'm not liking it. But in Romans 12, what does Paul say? Bless those who curse you. Bless those who persecute you. And so as Christians, we're to get, when we're filled with the Spirit, if you want to know if your gauge is there, how's the thanksgiving? How's the grumbling? How much are you looking inward? Because as Paul paints this picture, as the Holy Spirit paints the picture of what it looks like, a life dominated by Christ. It's outward. Christ came to give his life away. It's outward. And you'll never be more miserable than when you lean into your selfish impulse. And you think joy is going to come from getting what you want. And so, let's pray that we can be filled with the Spirit of God. That this picture can start to be painted more and more on the hearts of, on our hearts. And we're all sinners in this room, so we have great opportunity to pray.